1: Welcome to the Billboard Sharpie Podcast. Gary Trust, Billboard's co-director of charts. And hey, guys, it's Trevor Anderson here, chart manager, here at the board. All right, back this week after a week off. Lots to get to. Uh, as always, we'll run down the top 10 of the Billboard Hot 100. We'll get into a record-setting week for Justin Bieber. Uh, our guest this week is Mark Medina, program director of WHTZ Z100 here in New York, only the biggest top 40 radio station in the U.S. And uh, we'll get uh, really into the mindset of how top 40 radio is run. And uh, we'll close, flashback to... What are we flashing back to, Trevor, this week?
0: Oh, this week we're going to flash back to 19... 19- 99, right before the turn of the millennium, uh, we're going to look at the Backstreet Boys and one of their most iconic songs and biggest hits on the Hot 100. And if you thought we were going to leave the Backstreet Boys back in 1999, you'd be wrong because the Backstreet Boys, believe it or not, in 2017, are still on the charts and have a little significant, uh little rivalry in sync that takes a turn this week that I don't think a lot of people are expecting.
1: We're renewing the rivalry.
0: Yeah, but on the country battlegrounds, we're moving from pop... I know. See, even in the, even in this room, the guy recording this podcast does not <laughs> believe this. There is some country uh country brewing history for the Backstreet Boys and we'll talk a little bit about that. All right, first,
1: this week's top 10 of the Billboard Top 100.
0: 10 9 8 7 6 5 4 3 2
2: 1 Number 10. Push Me to the Edge. Fan of Alright. <laughs> It's all right. Let's tell Daniel Rattles down I do want I had My baby, really, I'm mad. a really her man.
0: No. everybody got a I always
2: say, Congratulations. Work so hard for the vacation. They never had a dedication. People hate and <laughs> say we changing. it. Stay. All you have to do is play second. Yeah. Number seven. Oh, I just like this. Number six.
0: Miles, Perkins, 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 Miles, Perkins, Perkins, represent. Gotta represent. Chase a chick, Never chase a
2: humble, number five. Sit down. holla, sit down. bitch, sit down. Bitch, sit down. Number four. I'm in love with the shape of you. push and pull like a magnet. Over my heart is falling to I'm in love with your body. Last night you were in my number three. I'm the one, I'm the one, am the only one, i
0: And bringing us out of the countdown once again for a sixth week, Despacito, Luis Fonsi and Daddy Yankee featuring Justin Bieber. So holding down the top spot for a while, we had a quick, some weeks of turnover there. We had Ed Sheeran at the top of the year. We had a couple weeks in there where we were switching out number ones between Kendrick and I'm the One and Bruno Mars. Now Despacito settling in for at least the past month and a half, and I mean the song You know, I mean, we say it kind of every week and it's almost kind of a cliche at this point, but it is getting bigger somehow. It's not it's not over
1: yet. It's not even peaking yet. No, it's still uh, gaining in overall activity. And I'm the one at number two, even though it's back up three to two this week. It's down slightly in points. So, uh, yeah, Despacito just uh, keeps uh, building its lead. Really looking like at this point, certainly a good chance it's going to be the song of the summer. Yeah, of course, it's Despacito,
0: um, you know, the song that a lot of people thought could be the song of the summer, really, when it first came out, and still, you know, is obviously going to be in the mix, uh, I'm the One, which is another Bieber song with DJ Khaled, and also as Quavo featuring and Chance the Rapper and Lil Wayne, so the supergroup there coming in at number two this week. Bieber also, on another song a lot of people have been talking about recently, the David Guetta song, To You, came out on June 9th, again, featuring Justin Bieber. That song um, starts at number 16 on the Hot 100, but is the third best-selling song in the week this week. Now, what are the top two selling songs of the week? Of course, Despacito, up there dominating once again, and I'm the One is the number two seller of the week. So if you look at the sales chart, Bieber is one, two, and three on the sales chart, and no one's done that. I mean, in terms of digital downloads especially no one has ever
1: had that trifecta on lock. No, we're talking uh, about uh, 13 years now of uh, the digital uh, song sales chart going back to downloads in the early 2000s. Uh, 1, 2, and 3 in the same week never happened before. Artists have had 1 and 2, including Bieber the last few weeks. He's been 1 and 2 with uh, Despacito and I'm the 1. But uh, top 3 in the same week, that's a first. Uh, it was actually looking at who would even come close to that kind of domination, maybe in a, in a similar uh, way. So while well, no one had the top 3, in the same week two other artists uh, both legends and it's actually a little bittersweet when we talk about who they are uh, each had three of the top four in the same week and say bittersweet because it was Prince in 2016 and Michael Jackson in 2009 it was both after each artist passed
0: I mean of course obviously you know it's kind of morbid to say but death has a way of reigniting your sales and streams like really no other publicity can kind of makes sense but um yeah, I mean, that that obviously is a pretty sad thing. I think there are a few other people who have somewhat been in that conversation um, while they're still alive.
1: Yeah, let's just, uh, let's just look at what both artists did, because it was actually really impressive. Prince, uh, 2016, May 14th uh, chart, 2016. He had seven of the top eight. So not only three of the top four, Prince had seven of the top eight songs. Now,
0: the real question is, what, what song did he not have in that group? And I guess it would have been, let's see, like last year, oh, like One Dance was hot last year, but it was probably... No, the Timberlake song wasn't out yet. It was it was One Dance, wasn't it?
1: No, no, One Dance was number ten.
0: Oh my god! Wait, what? It's not the Timberlake song? No. What would have been selling like around the time? It's not Formation. Is that,
1: yeah, it was Formation. Oh, the week that uh, Beyonce Lemonade came out, it, it coincided with with Prince's passing. Of the top nine, seven were by Prince, two were by Beyonce. Hold up, was number nine.
0: Uh, okay, that, that makes sense. I mean, obviously, people have been waiting to buy Formation for months, and um. As unfortunate a timing as that was, yeah.
1: yeah, yeah. Um, And going back to 2009, uh, Michael Jackson, he had uh, five of the top seven that week, three of the top four. Uh, he had ten of the top 17 songs, but he, kinda, he, he didn't have number one. Kind of ran
0: into some Black Eyed probably. Black
1: IPs. Yeah. I think feeling was number one, and Boom Boom Pow was number five. Yeah, you know, I got a feeling it was inescapable really that
0: entire summer, that whole year. Graduations or weddings or whatnot, but... Um well
1: Michael Jackson probably what, Billy Jean leading the pack or No Billy Jean was number 4 he had uh, two others at 2 and 3. Uh really that's a, uh what would people have wanted One might be a little surprising one probably isn't one might just be not one you think of right off the bat a thriller up th- thriller was his highest
0: people thought thriller more than they bought billy jean i would not have guessed that
1: yeah and beat it was number seven it's not even it's not beat it at, at number three there's another song at number three
0: um what would people have liked something um what album was it from bad it's
1: bad isn't it No, it's not bad
0: oh it's man in the mirror yeah. of course of course yeah i forget people always you know that's kind of how you people don't remember michael jackson as a humanitarian and and those kind of things so interesting that man in the mirror would have outsold billy jean that's pretty unexpected
1: it was fairly close it was a thriller that week was 167,000 downloads man in the mirror was 165 so they're pretty close hmm. and billy jean was 158 so they're all they're all pretty close oh, interesting all right, so uh, Prince and Michael Jackson did that after uh, after they passed, but uh, it's sort of comparable to Bieber in terms of just uh, having a bunch of hit songs in the middle of, of, of a hit run. Uh, a couple artists have had three of the top six selling songs uh, in, in, in recent uh, years before Bieber, Ariana Grande in 2014 and Akon in 2007. Yeah, Ariana Grande definitely
0: um – you know, pretty hot that summer of 2014. She already had her two album singles, you know, Problem was doing uh, well, and then Break Free, I think, was up there, that mix, too. And then you kind of throw out the Bang Bang out of nowhere. Is, am I, is this the right era? It was, am I yeah, I right?
1: yeah, Actually, okay. Problem was uh, was not one of those songs. Oh, really? It was, it was a little bit lower. It was Bang Bang was number two. Uh, Break Free was number four, yeah. featuring Zedd. Here's another song you might not remember or think uh, would think that it was such a big sales hit. At least it was this week. It was preview kind of a track Mm -hmm. best mistake featuring Big Shot
0: oh best mistake okay
2: okay
1: Akon, let's go back 10 years. May 5th, 2007. Can you name the three Akon songs he had in the top six in those digital
0: Okay, one of them's got to be Don't Matter. Yep, number uh, five. That's pretty easy. Um, are they all are they, It features?
1: The other two were features. Oh, I'm Don't not Matter good. was his.
0: Um, featuring Akon? I would not. Like, I, like I'm sure when I hear them, they'll be like, oh, yes, of course, that features Akon. It's not the Gwen Stefani song, is it? It was. Number six, The Sweet Escape. Ooh, okay. And what else would have been hot? Bone Thugs featuring Akon? Yeah, I tried. Shout out to Akon for...
2: Holding it down.
1: And, and uh, one other song just outside the top 10: Sam Hunt's Body Like a Back Road, back up uh, 14 to 11, got to number six uh, recently. But uh, history on the Country Songs chart: number one for a 19th week, ties for the longest number one run ever on Hot Country Songs for a soloist ties Leroy Van Dyke's Walk on By, 1961-1962.
0: I mean, you know, in particular, I know some people. When you, when you break a record, that is sort of take it from a newer song. It's kind of one thing, but when you take a record from a song that you know is so old that I mean, everybody from you know, I mean, across generations would know that song, and that puts it in a great context to really show, you know, how widely accepted a song this is as a hit. I mean, obviously, it's it's done wonders in crossing over to top forty and really you know helping sort of bring that maybe youth audience, maybe pop audience, who who. You know, at the at the the term country, they might be like, "Oh, I don't like country. I'm not into country." But you know, this is the song that can help bridge that gap. And um, you know, it's great to see, obviously, Sam doing so well with the song. I can't imagine. I'm not sure, but I can't imagine they thought this would be, you know, this big a hit. Yeah, I mean, it just seems like, obviously, you know, not your. Typical country song And I mean to see it Doing so well You know It's great
1: Yeah if it gets One more week At number one It has the record All to itself uh, Longest running Number one ever On Hot Country Songs By a solo artist And uh, just five more weeks It'll tie Florida Georgia Line's Cruise For the all time record 24 weeks 2012-2013 And it will actually uh, Have the team on From Hit Songs Deconstructed uh, in, in, in a few weeks Talking about Body Like a Backroad uh, Dave from a Hit Songs Deconstructed Will totally Break down Why the song Is connected so
0: much yeah, and um, I guess let's let's kind of help people put this in perspective as well. So Sam Hunt is the top country song in the week, top country song on the Hot 100. Where is the second highest ranking
1: country song on the Hot 100 this week? It down a little bit further. Number 31, Brett Young, in case you didn't know.
0: Okay, so there's there's a 20 sort of, I mean, there's a 20 spot gap between the two of them. So, if, you know, five weeks is, I mean, obviously we've already gotten to 19 weeks, so five weeks is not that much further.
1: And in case you didn't know, it was on its way down, so it'd be surprising at this point if it were to, to knock off Body Like a Back Road because it's already peaked. So you actually have to go further. Below that is uh, Hurricane Luke Holmes, number 43. That's also on its way down.
0: And of course, you know, maybe you also got The Ace Up the Sleeve, one of those songs that, again, you forget about how big a hit it is, that there is no music video for Body Like a Back Road. Right. So, of course, you know, if Sam. Sam gets a little nervous, maybe you can help some of that streaming out and you know, put out a clip.
1: Uh, actually, I won't mention the next uh, biggest country song because that'll give away what we're going to be talking about when we flash back in a little bit. All right, let's get to this week's Industry Insider interview. Mark Medina, Program Director, he's been there a couple of years, of Z100 here in New York. Uh, went up to Z100 at uh, iHeartRadio uh, recently, talked about everything to really find out uh, all about how top 40 radio works nowadays. And uh, Mark's had, had a great career, started in a smaller market, worked his way up. So uh, really interesting to hear uh, what goes on in terms of the decision making and the whole process at Z100. Part one, actually, we're going to run two parts over the next couple of weeks. Mark Medina, C100 Program Director on the Billboard Chalkbeat Podcast.
0: I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me.
1: In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. Get your personalized plan today at noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary.
2: Check one two. New York, here we go. Hey, it's Louise Fossey. Turn turn it on. It's your boy Daddy Yankee. Justin Bieber here.
0: Come and move that
2: in my direction.
1: Mark Medina, in program director of WHTZ, a.k.a. Z100, in New York, iHeartMedia's top 40 radio station in the number one market by audience size in the U.S. Mark, thanks so much for coming on the podcast. Thanks for having me. And for letting us use your
2: studios. <laughs> well, welcome. Make yourself at home. Kick up your feet.
1: This is this a big deal for you to be doing voice work? Are you ever on the air
2: in Z100? Um... Actually, I'm not on the air, um, but I have voiced, been the station imaging voice for f- um, several of the stations that I worked at. And we did it for a little while here at Z when I first got here as well. There's a uh, a sizzle reel that they have that they play in one of the presentation rooms at our corporate headquarters. And there's some uh, VO of me on there doing a station in D.C. And so every time I hear that, I like, oh, oh, that was me. Well, that's weird. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you again, Mark. Let's just start with uh, what you think uh, the definition is of a program director. How do you define the job, especially for what it is here in 2017? Well, it's definitely changed a lot. Um, You know, I think a lot of our responsibility is sort of more of a brand ambassador um, and sort of an agent for the listener, you know. As the business changes and as the business model continues to change, and we're all figuring out what's the future and what, you know, what's this going to look like in a year, five years, 10 years. Um, the one thing that holds true is that, you know, we have a consumer, an end user that relies on our brand in whatever form that exists, you know, whether that's through the FM transmitter, whether that's through the iHeart app, whether that's through our social platforms, whatever. So somebody always needs to be an advocate. Uh, and an agent to that end user, and I think that's a lot of the role that the program director um has taken on or or i mean has always had, but it's become more and more prevalent that that uh that our job is to service that listener wherever they may exist, you know whatever where meet them wherever they are and and address their tastes.
1: I would think for years it was uh, it was really uh, tied to maybe one radio station. You oversaw the music, uh, the jocks. And then in, in the last uh, 10, 15 years, that's probably when the job has probably changed maybe more than ever before.
2: Yeah. I mean, I think it de- it depends on what markets you're in, you know. Um when I was in Phoenix, I had a country station and a Top 40 station. So, you know, a lot of that as things grow and as people grow um, and as business models and market needs adjust and change, you know, um, there's a lot of regionalization of of uh, kind of what you're talking about, where people have multiple duties across multiple markets and things like that. Here, you know, from a day-to-day radio station standpoint, you know, I, I have the luxury of um, focusing on Z100 and then helping out in some other areas with, um, you know, some national initiatives and things like that um, and working with stations that that um, just maybe need an extra set of ears or, or, you know, help in one way or another. Where are you from? How'd you get into music? How'd you get into radio? <laughs> I am from a very small town in California called Atwater, California. Uh, That's where I grew up. Um, You've never heard of it? (laughs) This is really random, but the radio station faced a main street that had a stoplight on it. And so it was a top 40 station. It was called KYOS. It was an AM station. And I used to just be fascinated by the fact that uh, like, if they had the studio blinds open, you could see in the studio. So I'm sitting at the stoplight, listening to this guy talk... And watching him, like bobbing his head around, and just seemed like having the best time. Um, and I kind of got hooked on it from there. And I was the uh, annoying kid at the mall, remotes like that would stand there the whole time and like you know just linger. And I'm sure they wanted to go away, but I would just kind of hang out and 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 then. Um, I did a report in like eighth grade on radio and I went to that same radio station and the program director was like, wow, you're really, you're really into this. And he's like, come in anytime, you know, this is a different time, obviously. And so I started hanging out there on my free time and on the weekends and stuff and um, made friends with all the jocks and they would, you know, uh, Hey, I'm going to go have a cigarette. Will you hit this segue for me? And I'm like, yeah, sure. You know, I knew how to run the board and all this stuff and eventually got hired on as a board op and like everyone else you know ran the the American Top 40 with right. Casey Kasem on the Sunday morning and that whole deal and then just just kind of started from there. So you're pretty young when you started in radio? Yeah, I was I I did that report, that was in 8th grade. Um and then Back then, you had, used to have to have the FCC license to right. to to like run the board and all that. So and you couldn't get that till you were fourteen. So that no <laughs> tests, no other requirements. You just had to be fourteen. So when I turned fourteen, I got that. Then the radio station hired me, and um, and that's when I started like getting paid to do it. You know.
1: So it sounds uh, like it was really the allure of radio, but music as well. do what kind of music did you like?
2: I grew up listening to like what would now be considered old school hip hop. You know what I mean? Um, Eric B and Rakim, uh, Houdini, um, you know, a lot of inappropriate things that I would listen to in my Walkman while I did my chores. And if my parents knew what I was listening to, I would probably gotten myself in a lot of trouble. But, uh, yeah, I mean, you know, it's funny because one of the things about being at Z100 is or 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 even even i would say being in new york and being being um so much more connected to the record industry than i've been at previous programming jobs is you know i have a, a strong passion for the music and i love the music but i never got into this necessarily for the music um which throws a lo- uh, some people for a loop because it's like well, that's such a, how could you run, you know, one of the biggest top 40 radio stations? So I do have a passion for the music, but I have a passion first for radio. And that that's sort of what brought me in into it. You know what I mean? What is it about radio? Do you, do you think, do you, have you analyzed it enough to, to know what you think is is so special that, that
1: drew you in at such a young age? And obviously uh, still millions of people listen to. It.
2: You know, nowadays, anybody can kind of become a star, right? With everybody has a platform, uh, whether it's you know snapchat or twitter or whatever you know everybody has has that platform and can and can become a performer can have a show can have a shtick, whatever right but when i first got hooked on this that wasn't necessarily the case so a radio dj was a celebrity you know what i mean they were they were and i just thought what a cool job like they hang out hang out i mean i know definitely there's more to it now but at the time like they hang out they're at the mall like eating like Orange Julius food and like people coming up to talk to him and in line to talk to him and they're playing music and, you know, uh, it was just a, it, it just seemed like a cool job, you know? And then as I got into it more and got deeper and deeper into things, then I, I just kind of fell more in love with it. As I, as I learned more about it, I wanted to know more about it, you know,
1: uh, just take us through your career. How'd you work your way up to, to Z100 here in New York?
2: Okay. So like I said, I got hired on as a board op. When I got that big FCC license that I got to put in the book, in the book on the uh, on the back wall with everyone else's, so I felt special. Right, and you know, literally my first real like big moment in radio. Uh, I was running the board. I was the overnight board op, and once an hour, I got to um, pot up the mic and say the legal ID live, and that and, and, and pot it back down, and that was it. And that was my big thing. Eventually, went on the air there and. Uh, this was at KHTN in um, in Modesto, and uh, did nights there. Um, and then I went to Stockton um, at KWIN and did nights there. And then I got into programming. I got into programming first at uh, at KRQ in Tucson. Um, That was my first program director job. So after uh, Stockton, I went to Tucson to KRQ and worked with Tim Richards and and the team there. And, um, you know, looking back, like that was a real that was a real instrumental time for me because, you know, you've got Tim Richards was our program director. Uh, who's 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 back in Phoenix now, but went on to Detroit and Chicago to program and stuff like that. And Mojo was our morning guy, who's in Detroit now. And uh, Jeff Dollar, who's doing a show in Atlanta, was the morning show producer. Um, and, and just a, a, it was just my first kind of like real radio experience. I felt you know, so I went from there to. Uh, uh, I, had, I had two runs there, actually. I was there, then I went to KKFR in Phoenix when it was Power 92, and I was the music director there, and the night Jock, and then I uh, came back to program KRQ. Then I went to program KZZP in Phoenix, and I did that for 10 years. Uh, the last three I um, also took on the country station KNIX, and then I went to Washington, D.C., WIHT, and then uh, just a little over two years ago, two and a half years ago, I came here
1: people hearing all these different formats, they might think uh, you have to be an expert in country. You have to be an expert in pop. But is is programming programming uh, pretty much for whatever format you're working in?
2: Yeah, I think so. I mean, I think you get to a level um, where it becomes about the reps. You know what I mean? Like, um, Like I use a sports analogy, you know, when you're playing Little League, you kind of play every position and you learn a little bit about pitcher and you learn a little bit about first base and you learn a little bit about the outfield and how to hit and how to be. You might play a game at catcher, but then as you... Go up in levels, and you get to high school and college. You 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 zero in on what your position is, right? And then you focus on the intricacies of that position. So you you're not just playing that one inning, one game at catcher. You, that's all you do all day long is drills for catchers, and you know you know that type of thing. I kind of I kind of look at it the same way. Like there's I have a general radio knowledge from the foundation that I came up with, but at this level, it's sort of like. You really got to sort of specialize, I think. Um, but that doesn't mean that you can't be involved in or add to the conversation about other formats um, by any means. Because a lot of, you know, look, it's it's connecting consumers with something they might like in your product. And and that that's the same no matter if it's country coming out or if it's top 40 or if it's hip hop. I mean, I didn't even know what a mainstream top 40 radio station was until... I definitely never worked at one until I got to KRQ in Tucson. But, you know, I grew up in the Central Valley and it was all like rhythmic based, you know, Um, when I got a cassette tape of Kiss FM in Los Angeles in like the late 80s, early 90s, maybe that was my first exposure to, wow, you can play. Okay, so you can play Red Hot Chili Peppers and you know, MC Hammer or whatever it was at the time. Like I'd never, to me, I'd never really experienced that. And that was, that was a really cool thing. Does it ever hit you? I I know, obviously you have uh, such a background and so much experience at this
1: point, but maybe when you first got the job, was it uh, intimidating at all? Or did you take that moment to think, wow, I've I've made it to Z100. It's like that, that scene in the Howard Stern movie when he goes across the bridge, it's the big life
2: (laughs) moment. You know what? I think about it every day and I've had this conversation with the staff here and everybody to a person will tell you that they still every day go, wow, you know, look around. I work at z 100 and I think that that's what helps keep everybody on their game and on their edges nobody takes it for granted you know when i when i first got here i didn't quite know what to expect i'd worked with mo bounce a little bit in the past through some voice tracking things on some stations i was at but um hadn't really spent any time with anybody and the coolest part about starting here was that every, there was no ego. There was no attitude. I thought, you know, who knows what I'm going to walk into. And it was nothing. It was, everybody was so great. And, And I thought about it and I'm like, you know, they're here. They're here. Nobody has to puff out their chest. Nobody has to try to big league you. They know what they did to get here and they're here. Um, nobody takes it for granted, but also nobody throws it in your face either. You know, it's, 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 it's really it's hard to describe, but yeah, there's definitely a reverence for the call letters, for the heritage. Um, you know, I have such tremendous respect for Tom Pullman, um, and really anybody that's ever been involved with with the brand, but but especially in its resurrection um, uh, in the you know mid '90s and and what what Tom and uh, Sharon built, and and you know, I'm here to to expand on and continue so and you've been here since January 2015 so two full years and wherever we're at now what's today
1: (laughs) all right let's get into uh, one of the main questions whenever we talk radio Uh, radios place in today's world of music consumption uh, big stat that that Nielsen uh, has always put out there uh, I think in 2015 is that uh, 243 million people listen to radio in the US each week How does radio uh, stay relevant uh, today, Mark? I'm guessing it's not uh, just that radio, uh, the actual uh, physical radio, but a lot of online, a lot of app listening. It's sort
2: of, as you were saying before, the entire brand. We can look at it as the content delivery business in whatever form that takes. I mean, that's the genius behind, you know, the early start that we got in our company with the iHeartRadio app is that in a way it's like, okay, we... We see this coming, and so we're not just going to provide the content; we're going to provide the the actual new radio, so to speak. So, I think that that's a lot of it. A Radio remains very relevant in new music discovery, which you know presents um, great opportunity and great upside. And maybe this is
1: uh, New York centric to think this way, but uh, with so many people listening. On their phones uh, through the app, what is the future, or at least what you think, uh, Mark, of of radio towers and the actual uh, traditional medium of radio?
2: Well, look, I mean, there's no doubt that that digital and mobile is is continuing to to become more and more prevalent, and and you know, but right now for for us, you know, ninety percent of our listening is still done on terrestrial radio. So I don't know. I you know I always kind of harken back to the 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 list of things that were supposed to kill radio. You know, starting with television. Um, you know, starting with uh, satellite, and then going to satellite radio, then the iPod, and you know what I mean. That we sort of have withstood a lot of of challenges, um, and I think that the future really is less about the platform because who knows I mean I, if, if I could answer that question I would be wearing a lot nicer clothes and um, you know driving a lot nicer car um, but I think that what it really comes down to is the content you know and and the advantage of radio as it stands today as I see it and if we um, navigate the course correctly the advantage that we will always have is the personalities You know, is the human touch. It's the connection that we can make to a listener that a streaming service can't. You know, Bob Pittman, who's our CEO, often will talk about a playlist. Being equivalent to your record collection or your CD collection. When you want to unplug from the world and just be in your space, in your mindset, then you would go back in the day to your records or CDs or tapes or whatever. And now you go to your playlist. But when you want to plug in and engage with the world and interact and feel like you're part of the community and part of something going on, that's where the live radio aspect comes in and that's sort of the beauty of what we have with the app is that we have the streaming services we have the playlists and the on demand and those types of things. But we also have all the radio stations on there, which is really how people can connect through the human touch, you know, and, and the same thing goes with, goes with music, you know, when, when we're deciding what to play and what to, you know, what the rotations are going to be on the radio station. There's tons of, um, Uh, data points that we have and those are very very important but so is the human curation and just you know oversight and that that human touch of you know here's what my gut tells me you know that that is not gone and I I think that's something that you can't really get from algorithms you know I mean you can get close on some things but I I just think that human touch that human courage Uh, curation is is so important and and so whatever the technological future is I don't know the answer to that but but I I think that content and humanity will will continue to be in demand it's like someone
1: who has grown up more in a streaming age streaming is all about on demand and and maybe you just learn to listen to music without personalities through playlists online
2: yeah, and again, you know, don't get me wrong. That's not to say that there's not a place by any means for you know a global platform or a a, a broader net. Like there's, we have a, a kind of a mantra in in the company which I love, which is national reach with local activation. I think that's really one of the differences. Is that you know we can we have the resources as a company to put together some pretty incredible things, and then. Engage with the local listener under the local brand um, for whatever market that we want. Tapping into that t- to that national reach, but but activating locally. And I think that's that's unique to our company, and that's something that like Apple doesn't have. Is they have the national radio station, but people don't fall in love with um, like platforms, right? They fall in love with with humans they fall in love with people they fall in love with brands that that they're passionate about and that's one of the advantages that we have also is that we have so many brands across the country that people love and connect to and 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 fight for and and want to be part of and grew up with and so on and so on we have enough resources to to nationally uh, pull together and get some really really major things done but then use those local connections and that local uh, branding opportunity to, to really activate it and, and, and have people feel like they're part of it because it's coming to them from their you know their trusted uh, companion, which is the radio station.
1: You talk about uh, local versus national. I I know Elvis Duran on uh, the morning show. It's it's syndicated, but it's still very New York centric in a lot of ways. A lot of the conversation is about uh, things that are happening that day in New York, whether it's the weather or events. And and I would think it's in some ways it's kind of like maybe Saturday Night Live, where people are watching it around the country, but it still feels very personal to you be, because of those details. And it's you sort of feel like maybe you're there with them. It kind of brings you there a
2: little. Yeah. A couple things. I think it it comes back to content is king, right? Like Elvis does an amazing show and it's super entertaining no matter where you're listening, where you happen to be listening. Um, And I think that probably, you know, we can get in our own way a lot by overthinking. um, Okay, well, should I talk about this? And, you know, interesting things are interesting things, you know, also and, and this may or may not be true, but as somebody who's not from New York in, in me that now is here i think there is a little bit of a mystique about new york city and what you know how could anyone actually function there and live there so i think he humanizes the city a little bit by you know just talking about a, a restaurant something that happened at a restaurant you know and no matter where you live you've gone to a restaurant and and this one happens to be uh, you know in new york city but It's still relatable, you know, so I think his landmarks and frame of reference is very New York um, in some cases, but the relatability is not, you know, limited to just New Yorkers. You know what I mean? It's not all, you know, man, the six train was just late again today. You know, it's not like that. So I think that I think that that speaks to the content and the entertainment value, really, you know. Let's talk uh, radio music a
1: little bit more uh, specifically. Um, do you still think, Mark, radio is the ultimate decider of a hit? And, and I say that because uh, certain songs can sell or stream really big for, for maybe one or two weeks, and then maybe that buzz disappears. But uh, if, if you're a top ten uh, radio hit or a top five or, or number one, th- that's really months of people saying they like that song. You don't get to be number one uh for one week on radio and, and then disappear. It's a much more steady arc. Where, where do you see?
2: Uh, where do you see radio's places as, as sort of? Uh, is is it more that steady gatekeeper of what a hit is? You know, I think that's one of the things that's evolving. You know, seventy percent, I think, is the latest number of some of the research say that they still get new music from their discovery comes from the from the radio. There are definitely more and more platforms, and however many exist right now, when we finish this podcast, there'll be 10 more, right? So I think radio's a vital role, but I also think that as with, you know, we talk about millennials and, and people growing up with without a radio in the home and things like that, um, there's going to be soon a crop of um, artists that are under the same sort of circumstances, right? Um, they... There's people that will have grown up and never not had Snapchat in their life or whatever. As that all evolves, radio's role remains vital. Right now, I I, I think that brand new artists and brand new projects, um, the labels have gotten more and more sophisticated and more and more um, aggressive about utilizing multiple platforms to get the music exposed. And build, you know, that groundswell. But I think for most, I think most record executives would tell you still to this day, and most artists would tell you that getting played on the radio is an end goal. Absolutely. I think you've found a balance in some ways.
1: Um, new music discovery can mean new artists but it can also mean new songs by established artists absolutely for a while now for a few years right iheart z100 has been really good about playing brand new songs hourly on the first day Mm -hmm. they came out that's something i didn't really see in radio too much before that
2: right with the iheart world premieres um they've really helped set iheart stations apart as um leaders in that and and Not everybody's going to love every song, but they've come to be able to count on the radio station to deliver it for them and let them make the decision. You know, and that's really what all this is about is like, we're going to match you with this product and um, in this case, music and let you decide, you know, that's really what it's about. With uh, with real
1: time, personal people meter, are you on those days uh, when you play a new song every hour? Are you are you watching the reaction every hour and seeing if. If uh, people are, are dropping off every time you play it
2: or or, or no, liking it, I, you know, I don't think you. I think you can get yourself really paralyzed by doing that. Some things you have to do for the brand, y- you know what I mean. Like some things are are tactical, some things are strategic, and I think something like the iHeart World Premieres are are a little bit of both, but really strategic. They're really. Um, we're going to do this and own this position and own this expectation and meet this expectation for the greater good. And, you know, do all those songs go on to be number one hits? No. You know, but but the, the image win is probably um, more important in the long haul. Uh, people, you know, I think one of the mistakes people make about PPM as programmers is they forget that. Top of mind awareness is still a crucial element, you know, like obviously top of mind is the sole uh, goal in a diary world, but you still have to be top of mind with people. Nielsen at one point uh, when it was Arbitron, they said, you, you know, you have to win the off before you can win the on, meaning that people have to know to put your radio station on before they can continue to listen to it, they have to start listening to it. And that's brand awareness and that's top of mind. And so I think things like the world premieres help brand equity and help build that um, top of mind awareness. You know, C-100, W-H-T-Z, Newark, New York City, and I Heart Radio Station. From the top
1: state building this is new york's number one hit music station all right part one with mark medina program director of z100 you were so in awe of mark trevor we didn't hear a word from you in that interview
0: i i know i I, it it was like i wasn't even there i mean i was i was so present in the room and the attention what can you say
1: me too. I apparently said so much. You just she wanted to listen to both of us.
0: Yeah. Um, okay. So let's go ahead and give the real disclaimer to the audience. Um, unfortunately, uh, as we were recording this interview, I guess I mean I guess you could call it a technical malfunction. If it even functioned, um, the microphone that I ended up using, unfortunately, did not capture. You know my voice at all. So for some people who are listening to this podcast are saying, oh, God, thank God, if only this could be a regular occurrence. Um, (laughs) But unfortunately, yeah, that's what happened. So luckily for me, I got a great co-host in Gary who was able to take that over, ride with it, and luckily, you know, Mark still gave us some great stuff.
1: Well, you know what it was too? Uh, Apparently the microphone you were sitting at in the production studio uh, was the one that recently uh, Justin Bieber had sat and done an interview with. The Bieber mic had a little weird, like, there was something that he kind of described about it that was like
0: Bieber was having some sort of problem with it when he was there too. So, you know, if nothing else, Justin Bieber and I have now had a bonding experience. So that's all I can really ask for.
1: All right. We'll pick it up next week with uh, Mark and me and Trevor in spirit with uh, more. But uh, flashing back right now, 1999, Trevor. Wrong,
2: my father. I want it. Better.
0: Yeah, so okay, of course if you grew up between 19, you know, 87 and 2000, you know this song was one of the major hits that everyone from, you know, school dances to singing in the car to any sort of school contest you had, I want it that way by the Backstreet Boys, one of
1: Gary's looking at me like he doesn't believe me. No, I'm thinking some of us were working by then. They, some of us weren't in school in 1999. Some of us had graduated a few years before <laughs> That's now. That's true. You missed out
0: on the on the golden opportunity. Teen pop, if you were in school right then, that was a match made in heaven. Um, but yes, the Backstreet Boys, I Want It That Way, probably definitely one of the most iconic songs of that era. And Backstreet Boys were on top of the world back in 1999. They were really, you know, this is right before, right in the middle, I guess, of the the infamous Sync. Backstreet Boys War, you know, Sync next year having no strings attached and Again, bye, bye, bye. It's gonna be me, another huge, you know, huge millennial anthems, if you want to call them that. You know, re- really reigniting that contest. And I um, gotta ask you, Gary, because everyone who grew up in this time has has their clear choice. Are you a Backstreet
1: Boys guy? Or are you an In Sinker? I on, honest answer, I don't know that I actually ever took sides. It's not. I, Boom. Boring, boring answer. Now, see, I, when I grew up uh, at that age, for me, New Kids on the Block were the big boy band. They didn't have really rivals at the time. And they were from Boston. I was from Boston, and kind of like their. I thought they were really good pop songs. So, yeah. can my answer be New Kids on the Block?
0: Coppa,
1: no, Coppa. I, we'll, um Okay, you can say
0: that. We'll give. We'll give that to the Backstreet Boys then for their New Kids Backstreet Boys tour they did a couple years ago. And uh, speaking of Backstreet Boys staying active recently in the music scene, believe it or not, people will you know, be surprised that, A, yes, the Backstreet Boys are still out there recording music, and even in 2017, they are still making some waves on the Billboard charts. So we're talking 18 years after, you know, this, I want it that way, their heyday. You can find the Backstreet Boys on, of all places, on the country charts. They've taken a... Residency up there, helping out Florida Georgia Line most recently with the song God, Your Mama, and Me, which is up this week, Gary, to number two
1: on the country airplay chart. Right. So this is where the, we're talking about the rivalry before uh, Backstreet Boys do something this week that InSync never did. So InSync had a – people man, I even remember. NSYNC had a number three country airplay hit in 1999. They were featured on Alabama's God Must Have Spent a Little More Time on You, which was originally a hit for InSync. Yeah. It was such a big hit. We've seen this before in in country and pop music history, uh covers in country of pop hits, covers of pop uh hits both ways, uh, all for one. With their songs John Michael Montgomery uh, did uh, I swear I can love you like that, same kind of thing.
0: Obviously Dolly and Whitney bringing up probably the most famous country cover uh in history. Right. I will always love you. And
1: uh as you were saying. Yes, so uh God must have spent a little more time on you uh 1999 on Country Airplay got to number 3 big hit but this week on Country Airplay well, they both have God in the title I just that just hit me too yeah right hey, yeah. uh, God Your Mama and Me was number 5 last week on Country Airplay this week it jumps to number 2 so Backstreet Boys now have a bigger Country Airplay hit than Insync ever did number 2 versus number 3
0: and I mean how crazy would it be if if it goes to number 1 the Backstreet Boys having a number one hit on country radio in 2017. Right. What a you know what a weird but great sort of additional chapter to that story.
1: Did you know about this, Trevor? Uh, weird Al Yankovic did his parody of "I Want It That Way." Um. Ooh, I don't eBay. We gotta close with that.
0: With eBay, yeah. <laughs> okay. Before we get to Weird Al, yeah, we're gonna sell. We're gonna shout out the Backstreet Boys. 20th anniversary this year of their U.S. debut in 1997. Right. The Backstreet Boys album coming, so 20 years later, you can still find them hanging out on the Billboard charts, making big
1: waves, and that much closer to a number one. Yeah, we'll see if uh, that happens next week. That would, uh, would be pretty fun if uh, Backstreet Boys are number one 20 years later on the country charts.
0: In the meantime, we're going to leave you guys as promised with <laughs> Weird Al's parody of the Backstreet Boys song. Join us here next week on Charby Podcast. We'll be talking Despacito once again, seeing if that train keeps going. And maybe even a a big debut potentially from this DJ Khaled, Rihanna, and Bryson Tiller song right. "Wild Thoughts" is seems to be off to a pretty good start. People are are gravitating towards it. Already debuting on a few radio charts. We saw with just three days of airplay. So. It's been the summer of Bieber so far,
1: but maybe Rihanna is starting to make her move. If anything, too, with with Rihanna, if that song's a big hit, maybe we'll see a female artist somewhere high on the Hot 100 again.
0: Lesia Akaro once again holding it down for the women on the chart with Zed and the song Stay.
1: And uh, more with Mark Medina from Z100 next week as well here on the Billboard Sharpie podcast. Don't outbid me on eBay now, Trevor.
0: I wish my salary would allow me to.
2: EBay, tell me why you. Uh-huh.